Genesis chapter 31, verse, 20, verse 19. At the time that they, which being Jacob and his family, left, Laban was some distance away, shearing his sheep. Rachel stole her father's household idols and took them with her. Jacob outwitted Laban the Aramean, for they set out secretly and never told Laban they were leaving. So Jacob took all his possessions with him and crossed the Euphrates River, heading for the hill country of Gilead. Three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he gathered a group of his relatives and set out in hot pursuit. He caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. And here's the key verse for this morning. But the previous night, God had appeared to Laban the Aramean in a dream and told him, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. Everybody say, leave, leave Jacob alone. Thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning that is forever settled and established in heaven, God. And we pray that your kingdom would come in earth as it is in heaven. Let your word take shape in somebody's life this morning. It's already established in heaven. Let it be done here in earth in the lives of those who are gathered to hear your word. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. It's been said that a good reputation takes a lifetime to build. And does anybody know the rest of that? And a moment to destroy. A good reputation takes a lifetime to build and a moment to destroy. People build a name for themselves in so many different ways and on the merits of their work ethic, their values, their relationships, their business acumen, their accomplishments. Uh, you know what? But this also cuts two ways. While you can build a reputation based on those accomplishments and achievements and work ethic, others can build reputations of apathy and disinterest and, dare I say it, laziness. It is interesting to note that a sterling reputation can be tarnished in a moment, but a poor reputation takes time and consistency to rebuild. And it serves us well to consider our reputation and our character as we walk through this life. What do others think of me? That's not a question that should control us, but it's something that we ought to be mindful of as, as Christians walking in this world. What do I think of myself? How do I view myself? Is it, a, is it a positive or a negative? Am I viewing myself only through my weaknesses or do I acknowledge my strengths? What do I think of myself? Who am I when nobody else is watching? That's important because the greatest reputation emerges from the deepest character. And now whether you consider reputation or whether you consider character, in the life of Jacob, in the book of Genesis, it can be pretty much said that he had neither. He didn't have a good reputation and he didn't have a good character. And we see this played out in his life from birth. In Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 21, Isaac pleads with the Lord on behalf of his wife. And, and she had been unable to have children to this point. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer. And Rebekah became pregnant with twins. 
But the two children struggled in the womb, and she went to the Lord about it and said, why is this happening to me? What's going on inside? And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And and so the time came to give birth, and Rebecca discovered that she had twins. And the first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. And so they named him Esau. He was a hairy baby, not a fur baby. He was a hairy baby. Let's get that straight, okay? Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping at Esau's heel, and so they named him Jacob. Born grasping to his brother's heal. Jacob lived up throughout his life for most of his adult life to that name. He was Jacob. He was heel catcher. He was supplanter. He was somebody who would stab you in the back to get ahead in life. He was somebody who would supplant your role on the corporate ladder. He would do what he needed to do to get ahead. And we see this played out because he wanted what Esau had as the firstborn son. In verse number 27 of chapter 25, it says, as the boys grew, Esau became a skillful hunter and he was an outdoorsman. Anybody like to hunt in here? I got three, I think. Oh, there's a few more. Thank you. Okay. I thought we were in New Brunswick. Sorry. Uh, Uh, He was an outdoorsman, and Jacob, you know, he was a very different person. He had a quiet temperament. He preferred to stay home, and, 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 and he tended to be more connected with his mother. And so Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau would bring home. And Rebecca, however, loved Jacob, and they kind of played favorites with their kids. I know that doesn't happen anymore, but, but Isaac and Rebecca kind of played favorites with Esau. And Jacob. And so as the story goes, one day Jacob was just sitting around stirring the pot. Just sitting around stirring a pot of stew. And, and Esau is, is, has been hunting for days and he is exhausted and he hasn't caught anything. And he's, he's stumbling back into the camp on the brink of starvation, thoroughly exhausted from the ordeal he has just put himself through. And, and, and he sees Jacob there stirring a pot of stew, red stew, his favorite color. It, it, was, it was just the, something he craved. He was so hungry. He was so exhausted. And Esau, in verse 30, said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Now we read that and we read it through really quick, but think about it. Your brother comes stumbling into the camp on the brink of starvation, thoroughly exhausted, probably dehydrated, not looking all that well. And and he's just asking you for a bite to eat. And Jacob's first response was to manipulate Jacob's first response was to get ahead. Jacob's first response was to use this opportunity to get something that he wanted from Esau. I dare say that's, that's kind of a wicked way to deal with your family, isn't it? 
But that's the way Jacob was at this point, that supplanter, that liar, that that deceiver. He said, trade me your rights as the firstborn son. And, And Esau says, look, I am dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother. Jacob. And then after Jacob had used the situation for his own good, for his own selfish purpose, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stew. And so Jacob displaced Esau as the firstborn son of the promise that flowed from Abraham to Isaac. He schemed and he plotted with his mother, as we'll read in a few moments, to steal the blessing of Isaac from his older twin brother. He was manipulative. He was dishonest. He was self-serving. He, he, and it destroyed, it ultimately completely destroyed his relationship with his family. And we read about it in Genesis chapter 27 of how Isaac, as the father, was nearing, he felt like he was nearing the end of his life and his eyesight was getting cloudy and he could not see and so he calls Esau his favored son his firstborn son he calls Esau in and says that it is time for you to receive the blessing uh, as my firstborn son to be the heir and next leader of the family but Isaac's wife Rebecca overhears this and she has a favorite son too and she tells Jacob what has happened and 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 they 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 conspire, that's the word, they conspire to steal that blessing from Esau and get it on to Jacob. And the consequences tore that family apart. And in Genesis chapter 27, verse 27 to 36, we can read about it, but Jacob deceives his father and and Esau comes after the blessings already been given to Jacob in, in deception, already been given to Jacob because Isaac couldn't see well and he thought Jacob was Esau. And so he blesses Jacob instead of Esau. And, and Esau exclaims after finding out that he had lost the birthright and the blessing because of Jacob's con- conspiratory act actions, Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob. For now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. So Jacob stole the birthright through manipulation of Esau. He stole the blessing of Isaac through deceit, and Jacob supplants his brother through this deception and manipulation. Not a good reputation, not a good character. And after that time, Esau decided to kill Jacob. He was so mad. He said, as soon as dad passes away, Jacob is a dead man. And so Rebekah sends Jacob away to her brother's house, Laban, to escape Esau's wrath in this moment. And so now Jacob the deceiver, now Jacob the liar and the cheat, now Jacob the thief has moved onto the plantation of a man named Laban. And as we'll come to find out, Laban is an arguably more deceptive person than Jacob himself. And Jacob works for Laban for 20 years, and and he he wants to marry Laban's uh, daughter, Rachel, and, and he works for seven years for that privilege, only to find out that it was Leah. And so he had to work another seven years, 14 years in total, so he could finally marry Rachel, the one that he desired from the beginning. Can you imagine working for 14 years, being deceived 
for that. And then he worked another six years for his flocks and his herds to become his own. And Laban kept on changing his wages and changing the working conditions and the rules and to, to try and get an edge. to try and So you got two people who are crooks, two people who have no moral compass on one farm. Supposedly they're working together. And that must have been something to behold. And, but through all of these difficulties, Jacob experienced the blessing of Isaac. Through all of it, even though he was a cheat, even though he was a crook, even though he would scheme and plot to get his way, he still experienced blessing because he had been blessed by Isaac. He had 12, he had 12 sons who would become later become the fathers of the tribes of the nation of Israel. He, he amassed great wealth despite Laban's attempts to swindle him out of it. And the reason he experienced that blessing is because the blessing of God is multi-generational. Psalm chapter 37, the psalmist tells us about it. It says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, the psalmist said, and now am old. I was told before service this morning that I'm getting old. I said, thank you very much. Uh, I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread he is ever merciful and lendeth and his seed is blessed you see many people live in the blessing of the previous generation without even realizing it and without even really acknowledging it but it is recorded in the word of God that the children of the righteous will be blessed and will not be beggars they will experience blessing not because of how they live not because of all the gifts that they have not because of all the talents that they have that's not why they're going to live in the blessing of God they will live in the blessing of God because they had a father or a mother or a grandfather who were righteous and they lived holy and that blessing flows down to the next generation they will receive that blessing because of how their parents lived. And, and I know it's, it, there's been so many things that have happened in the past year, and, and we have seen some precious elders go on to glory, and, and we owe so much to those elders that have gone on before us. We live in the blessing of God, not because of anything that we have, but because of, 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 of righteous men and women of old who stood for truth and, and stood in the way, and they, and they lived a righteous life. We live in the blessing that they pass down to us but it doesn't have the way we live we will still experience some measure of blessing and we see this happen in the kingdom of Solomon in first Kings chapter 11 the Lord was very angry with Solomon in verse number nine because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. And so now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and you have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you, Solomon, and I will give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of of your father. Everybody say your father. 
for the sake of your father, David, I will not do it while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And so Solomon lives his days in peace and prosperity while continually degrading himself, living an ungodly lifestyle, not living up to the wisdom that he had in his head. He lived and he worshiped through ungodly rituals to false gods. And, but he didn't bear the penalty of that. It was his children bore, that bore the consequence of that. Why? Because David was a man after God's own heart. Because David was a man of God, Solomon, his son, did not bear the consequences directly. So Jacob, although he was known as a manipulator and a deceiver, he experienced blessing for the sake of his father. However, his actions and character trickled into his family. And as they're leaving Laban's property, Rachel sees some idols that Laban has that are no doubt very valuable. And she takes them. She hides them. She had no right to take them. And as the head of the household, Jacob bore that responsibility And not only were those things taken, but Jacob was not fulfilling the contract he had with Laban. He was trying to sneak away and get away from his responsibilities. And so the avenger came to collect on the debt. And Laban gathered his men and they chased Jacob down. And Laban was undoubtedly furious as he had lost his most profitable worker and his children and his grandchildren. Jacob hadn't even said goodbye. He had left secretly so that he could try and escape the wrath of Laban. And Laban had not only lost his grandchildren and his daughters, he had lost things that were precious to him. Jacob or someone in his house had stolen them. And that's just like that wicked deceiver. That's just like that thief. That's just like that supplanter. That's just like that Jacob to try and and, and, and steal the most lucrative things in my house and run away. Laban was fuming. Laban was furious. He was out for revenge and he had every right to exact revenge on Jacob for breaking his contract, leaving without permission and stealing some valuable artifacts from him. And so as a livid Laban contemplated his revenge, how he was going to set Jacob in his place, how he was going to avenge the debt that had been that had been built between them there was a moment in time the night before that God appears to him in Genesis 31 verse 23 says that or verse 24 sorry God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said I'm warning you don't touch Jacob take heed that you don't speak either good or bad to Jacob And so as Laban caught up with Jacob, he said to him, what do you mean, Jacob, by deceiving me like this? How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you leave secretly? Why did you deceive me? That was, that was Jacob's MO right there. Why did you deceive me? Why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I, I would have given you a feast with music and singing and tambourines. Why, why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren goodbye? You have acted very foolishly. I could destroy you, Jacob. I could destroy wipe you out. I could 
take payment for this debt. I could destroy you, but the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me to leave Jacob alone. Leave Jacob alone. He had every right to destroy Jacob. He had every right to hurt him and to take back his property. But God stepped in when the accuser was about to come knocking on Jacob's door. God stepped in and said, don't you say one word. Don't touch him. I'm warning you. I know Jacob's a liar right now. I know he's a deceiver right now. I know he's not living the way he's supposed to be living right now, but he's blessed. The God of his father is for him. So Laban, you don't touch him. I know he's he's a cheat. I know he's immoral. I know he doesn't he doesn't treat you with respect, but my hands on his life. You can't touch him, Laban. And that's a nice story, but it's also true of somebody under the sound of my voice this morning. You weren't you weren't where you aren't where you need to be right now. You're not living the life that you know you should be living right now. You might be living in the shadow of your father's blessing. You might be living off of the prayers of a mama or a grandma. You might be living off of the prayers of a Sunday school teacher or a close friend. You, you might be a liar. You might be a thief. You might not be living what you, you ought to be living, but the God of your father has intervened on your behalf. And when our accuser comes knocking on the door, maybe even here this morning as we were worshiping, as we were lifting our hands, you might have felt bound up in your spirit because you know what happened last week. You know what happened last month. You know the way that you've been living for the past year and that accuser would try and knock on your door and destroy you but the God of your father the God of that praying mom and dad the God of that praying Sunday school teacher the God of that praying childhood friend the God of that grandma or grandpa the God of your father has come to the accuser and told him to shut his mouth you can't touch him. He's blessed. You can't touch her. She's blessed. You're still blessed this morning. You're still blessed. You're still able to come back and turn around. You can be free from the accusations of the enemy because the God of your father is for you. The God of your father is for you. Regardless of what you did last night, regardless of where you were this week, regardless of what lifestyle you walked in here and you knew you felt so inadequate walking into this place, you didn't feel like you could even lift your head in worship, even you, the God of our Father, is for you. And he has a desire to lift up your head. He has a desire to reach you where you are. And he has spoken to the accuser and he has said, don't touch him. Don't touch her. There's a purpose for their lives. There's a destiny for their lives. You see, we don't deserve the mercy and the grace of God. Just like Jacob didn't deserve Laban's mercy, Laban had every right to destroy him, but 
God said, no, I will not treat you like your sins and your actions and your lifestyle deserves. The psalmist writes about it in Psalm 103, says that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I needed forgiveness. There's been times in my life where I knew I wasn't living the way that I ought, that I ought to be living. There were some things that were going on that, that, that I wasn't letting God deal with, but the God of my Father was still willing to give me space. He was still willing to give me grace. He didn't treat me like my sins deserved, but he said, okay, Mike, you can come to an altar and you can repent of your sins and there is mercy and grace and forgiveness available for you because the God of your father is for you and he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west and skipping down to verse number 17 the love of the Lord remains forever everybody say forever the love of God remains forever. You're not disqualified from the love of God this morning. God's love is for every single person. Under the sound of my voice, the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant and of those who obey his commandments. That's the mercy of God that's available in this room because the God of our Father is for us. You better thank God that you've got a praying mom. You better thank God that you've got a praying dad because that prayer is keeping the accuser at bay. That's why we ought not to stop praying mom and dad. That's why we ought not to stop praying and get discouraged. I know it's difficult sometimes because the way that it looks doesn't look too good, but if we just keep on praying, God just keeps on pushing that accuser back and giving that person an opportunity to turn. So don't stop praying. Don't stop pushing. Keep on believing. Keep on praying. Keep on interceding because at some point there's going to be a turn. At some point there's, I believe that there's going to be a redemption story because there was a praying mom and a praying dad and a praying grandpa and a praying uncle and a praying aunt because the God of our Father, his desire is to save and to transform. Don't stop praying. Don't stop seeking because God's going to do a work in their lives. And you may be thinking this morning, I can't relate to this. I don't have a praying mom and dad. Nobody in my family that I know serves God. I don't even think anybody in my family tree has served God. There's nobody I can think of you might be thinking, I can't relate to this. I can't relate to Jacob's deliverance. I don't have a dad named Isaac who, you know, has his whole story laid out in the Bible as a man of faith. I don't have that pedigree in my life. Well, I have good news for you. There's a little scripture in Deuteronomy that explains how God's covenant is maintained in a measure that is just astounding. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 7. And this is a word for somebody here this morning. The Lord did not set his heart on you. The Lord did not choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. It wasn't because of all your strengths and talents and abilities and everything you have. 
Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. It's as simple as that. The Lord loves you. Even if you're a Jacob right now, even if you're not living the way you should be living right now, the Lord still loves you. He still loves you. Don't listen to that voice that says, oh, you'll never come back. The Lord loves you. And he's created this space in this service for you. Somebody just pray. If you have the Holy Ghost, I dare you to pray in the spirit right now. You see, you may not have a pedigree, but verse 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 7 tells us to understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. And in scripture, a generation roughly could be counted around 40 years. And if God keeps his promises and his blessings and his mercy for a thousand generations, you just do the math, that's 40 thousand years. That means we can trace our lineage back generation after generation after generation. And somewhere along that line of human existence, we will find mercy. Even if we have to go all the way back to Noah. You don't need a pedigree to serve God. And his mercy is here for you. His grace is extended to you this morning. He calls you nearer to him. He has pushed back the accuser. He's created this space. He's created this opportunity. And his mercy flows down from Noah even till now through thousands of years. And the question this morning is, will you respond to him? You see, not much later, Jacob had an experience with God that forever altered his life, forever changed him, changed how he lived and changed his identity, changed his his character and his reputation. Jacob, the liar and the deceiver, became Israel, one who has power with God and with men. And God wants to change your destiny this morning as we stand. God wants to change your destiny this morning. Anybody ever heard the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? That's not true. Jacob became a man of faith. Jacob became a man of God. 
Jacob became Israel, one who has power with God and with men. And if a man who was that deceitful, if a man who was that wicked, who had lived that way for decades of his life, could change after an encounter with God, can I submit to you this morning that you can too. You can too. You can change. And it begins with a change of mind. It's, it's that repentance piece where we make a decision to say, God, I know I haven't been living right. God, I know I, know I haven't done everything I knew to do. But, but I'm making a decision to turn my life away from that old Jacob and walk forward in a destiny and a future with God. And God, forgive me of all of that past, and I'm going to leave it in the past, and I'm going to walk forward in the mercy and the grace of God. That's how it begins. And then as Jacob received a new name, as he had, after he had wrestled with God for a, for a night, we receive a new name that Acts chapter 4 verse 12 declares to us that there is salvation in no other name. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And, and that name that we take on when we're baptized for the remission of our sins, the washing away of our sins is the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ and so as we repent we turn away from the old life and then that old life that old rotten deceiver that old Jacob is buried in the waters of baptism and when God looks at us when we come out of that water he doesn't see Jacob but he sees Israel he sees somebody that has power with God and with men and as we lift up our hands before God his spirit has the opportunity to come and fill us as we begin to speak in a language that we never learned before and it's just the spirit of God empowering us to do that and that is the opportunity of a lifetime here in this moment right now the God of your father is here the challenge in the Holy Ghost this morning is what will we do with the opportunity that God has given to us today will we choose to turn to God will we choose to lay aside our old self will we choose to lay aside the weights of our past and walk forward into our future, into our destiny with God. What is your choice this morning? What is your choice this morning? As we lift up our hands and as we talk to God for a minute, there's a, there's a conviction in this room. There's a conviction in this room. God's reaching for somebody to make a choice. God's reaching for somebody to turn around. God's reaching for a Jacob. God's reaching for a Jacob. Maybe you were raised under a Pentecostal pew. Maybe you were raised in this and you've walked away. But as, as Jacob walked away from Isaac's house, you can turn and you can come back. There's an opportunity for you. There's an opportunity for mercy. There's an opportunity for grace. Grace.